Okay, I am excited about what I have to share with you. And every so often, uh, you come into a word or a message that uh, it's going to turn into a series. And I have not a ton of notes, but a ton in my heart and on my mind that I'm going to jump into today. So here's what I want out of you. I want you to lean in. I want you to pay attention because what I'm about to share with you could be the difference between your joy and satisfaction as you follow Jesus or your frustration as you fall off. And if somebody sat me down earlier and talked about some of the things that I'm about to talk to you about, I would have avoided a lot of frustration and heartache. I am really excited about this word. So if you have a Bible, uh, grab it, Mark chapter 2. If you don't have one of your own, we have folks in red shirts. Uh, We'll put one in your hand. Lean in. If you have to pee, hold it. Some dude got up and got coffee last week and walked right back down to the front row. For real. Don't do that. I will call you out if you get up and get coffee. I'll say, bring me one, bro. Um, So lean in. God's got a word for you. Amen? Amen. All right. I am excited. I hope that your enthusiasm matches mine, okay? This is a two-way conversation. This is a, I'm a holler back preacher, so let me know you're hearing me. Uh, We've got things to cover today. If you have been walking with us over the last several weeks, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. What does gospel mean? Good news. A little more, little more volume, folks. Good news. Yeah, it means, yes, there we go. It means good news. I was at West last week, y'all, and they know how to shout down a screen. So you guys, you're going to get left with a screen. Just saying. You guys, some of you are watching. Most, actually, there's more people watching screen this weekend than me in person. It's what you put in. You need to lean in. You, you, you respond for you. Amen. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride you until you kind of just let me know you're with me because I don't want you to miss what I got today. So good news, good news. The gospel means? Hey, there we go. There we go. We got it. The gospel means good news. And Mark's been telling us about the good news about who? Yes, it's working. Seaside is working. All right. Yeah, he's been telling us about the good news of Jesus. And it's from his perspective. There are how many gospels? There's four Gospels, and they're different, they're different versions of the same story about Jesus. And we've been going week by week. And, and Mark's been telling us the story as Jesus kind of came, and John the Baptist prepared the way. And then Jesus started calling his disciples, and he's starting to gain steam. And we're finding that he's teaching these truths that have such authority, and people are blown away by it. And he's healing the sick and casting out demons. And just unusual, amazing things are happening. And as you can imagine, as these things are happening, there is a great, great gathering and following of people amassing behind Jesus. And so where we pick up today, Jesus has been calling people with a simple invitation. He's been saying this, follow me, follow me. Everywhere he's gone, he's taught and then he's invited people to follow him. And that's really the simple message of what we believe. We believe Jesus has invited all people to follow him and that when you do, you receive life. And more and more people are starting to jump on this journey following Jesus as Mark tells us. In fact, people that that up until that point, everyone thought were out of bounds. Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. They were starting to call him a friend of sinners. How many of y'all are thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Yeah, if, if you're not, you need to look in the mirror. Yeah, he's, he, and they're starting to call him a friend of sinners. He was hanging out with those people. In fact, before we pick up today, he just called Levi, Matthew, a tax collector and said, you, come follow me. People couldn't believe it. Like, what, what is this new teaching? Who is this? Who is this teacher? Why is he calling those people? And all of these people are starting to follow him as he does these great and mighty works. And so we come to this point in the story 
where people are asking questions because they're, they're seeing something they've never seen before and they're trying to like triangulate and understand who is this man and what is he all about. And so they come to Jesus with a question, trying to get understanding on, on, on what he's all about. I want you to look at it. Mark ver, chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus' ministry had been gaining steam, and he's inviting people to follow him. And so he's got more and more followers, and now a question about following him ensues. Look at this, verse 18. Follow along. It says, once when John's disciples, remember John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. Now, the Jews had uh, lots of rituals. Fasting was a weekly, a monthly, uh, a quarterly, an annual, annual thing. They did it all the time. They were fasting. And some people came to Jesus and asked this question, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? They come to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, we see that your disciples aren't doing the normal things that everybody else's disciples do. John's disciples follow the old law. They're doing the fasting thing. They're washing their hands. They're keeping the Sabbath. The Pharisees, the scribes, the, the, the Levites, they're all following the rules, but we're now watching your guys and you're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and you don't even have them fasting. And so they're asking the question, what is this whole following you thing all about? That's really what they're asking. They're trying to get to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, and they're, they're using this question about fasting as a backdrop or a launch point to get into the conversation. And, and here, I love that this is here, right, in chapter 2, because it's almost like Mark gives us what Jesus is about to say next as like a, a, a syllabus, as like a... a, a a description of what it's going to look like if you're going to follow Jesus. They come and they ask Jesus, what does this whole thing mean? What is going on as people follow you? And Jesus is about to answer, and he's going to paint three little pictures, three pictures that help us understand and frame in our expectation as we set out and follow Jesus. How many of you know how important expectations are? That having clear expectation and clear understanding on what you've signed up for and what you've gotten into really matters and will ultimately be the difference between your success and your failure, your satisfaction, or, or your dissatisfaction. It has to do with your expectations. Disappointment comes because you had expectation A and it turned out to be reality B. So good expectations. Uh, your, your, your expectations are so critical. I learned this the hard way. I remember... Um, Fresh out of high school, uh, I enrolled at St. Thomas University, and I went there, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was thinking of maybe being a lawyer. I had a big mouth, and so I figured, hey, I'll argue stuff. I'll be good at that. So I went, and I was in my first year, and I'd never had to deal with, like, being quasi-adult. Um, you know, my parents were telling me, hey, don't trust your own decisions. You know that your brain's not even fully formed yet, son. So just, just hang with us. And yet I felt very grown up. And so I'm getting out there making my own decisions, as you should. And I, I signed up in my first semester. I'll never forget this. And I, I was trying to find some courses that will help boost my GPA. And now you got to understand, up until that point, I never struggled in school. I never excelled either. I was always just kind of able to coast along and get moderately good grades without very little effort. Uh, for some people, I'm a loser. To other people, I'm annoying. I don't know where I land in that, in that group. But I never really had to work hard. And so when I got to, to university, I, I was hit with a dose of reality because I wasn't able to kind of just fudge my way through and get half-decent grades. And so I figured I'm going to go in this class to get just good grades. It'll be easy. I want to find some easy classes. So I signed up for Fundamentals of Math. 
It's why I went to a liberal arts college in the first place. I don't do math, but I can do fundamentals. So I signed up for fundamentals of math. And I, I went there the first day and then the second day. And then I went for like a week or so. And it was just, it was so easy. It was like beneath me. And I just, it was so easy. It, and this was like the first time that I was like able to decide if I was going to go to class or not. No one was like following me and making me go to class. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to skip for a while. And I skipped for like a few weeks. And then I went back and it like got a little further on. And I was a little nervous at this point. And then I was like, I, I'm way behind. And I tried to crack the textbook open and catch up. It was way beyond me at that point. And let's just say the rest of that semester did not go well. And uh, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine saying, I am bombing fundamentals of math. And he goes, did you read the syllabus? And I go, what's a syllabus? <laughs> so I didn't, know, I didn't know that was a thing. And so I had to find out the hard way that having appropriate expectations and knowing what you signed up for really will affect the outcome of how you experience and what you accomplish. And it's almost like Mark before, like it's like we gathered into the class and we're following Jesus now. And before we go any further, Jesus hands us the syllabus and says, this is what it's going to look like if you follow me. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you can expect because, and he does this as great grace here in this, in this chapter because your expectations are everything. How many know that in marriage? Like good marriages are people who have had good expectations or have been able to kind of adjust their expectations. Ones that fail are ones that their expectations got, got just destroyed. You expected one thing and experienced something else. We, we find that with parenting. Those who are prepared properly seem to do a little better. And then there's the ones who like you talk to them and are like, oh boy, you are about to just get destroyed, right? Like, you know, the parents who are like, we're going to invite our child into our schedule and we're not going to let... We're not going to let our lives revolve around him. They're the ones usually that are like bags under their eyes and they just look like death, right? Healthy expectations, healthy expectations. So Jesus gives us these expectations. If I was going to give my sermon today a title, I'm going to call it this, a crash course for a whole new you. A crash course for a whole new you. If I had a secondary title, I would call this three rules for life. Three rules for life. Uh, many of us, have gotten into our walk with Jesus and you have faulty expectations right now and you are set up for failure and the, the majority of the people I see fall away from the faith and fall away from this journey of following Jesus. It has nothing to do with some trauma or trial or difficulty. It's that you had a clash of expectation and you misunderstood what Jesus's invitation and what following him was going to look like. And so right here in these three little verses, I, it's such a gift. It clearly shows what Jesus is, is implying when you follow him. Three things, all right, are you with me? Yeah. I want you to lean in. I'm gonna write these. I even brought, I wanted to go school today. So I even brought my, my blackboard. I'm gonna write stuff. You're gonna judge my spelling. It's gonna be awesome. Verse 19, so Jesus is, is asked about fasting. It says in verse 19, so Jesus goes on record and, he's, and he says this, and he speaks in parables now. And we'll talk at another point about why Jesus spoke in parables. But he taught in parables, and it means to lay alongside. That's what a parable is. And it's to teach you something or show you something you weren't seeing. And so Jesus replies to the question about what is it about following you? And he, and he says this. Specifically, he answers the fasting thing first. Watch this. He says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating? If you have a Bible here, I want you to circle celebrating with the groom. Of course not. 
They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. But I want you to go back to that again, that where Jesus kind of gives this answer. Do wedding guests fast while, while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. They can't fast while the groom is with them. Let's, let's, let's write number one down here first when we get to these three rules of life. Number one, when it comes to following Jesus, you're going to need to remain seated. Remain seated. Can you not read my writing? Yeah, I, I hear some giggling back here. You need to remain seated. What, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me say this. Keep eating. Uh, there is a shift that Jesus wants you to understand as you start to follow him. And this is very different from the, from the Jews. This is why they're asking a question. This is very different from what you might have even been brought up in. There is a shift, and it is this, that life is not found in achieving. Life is found in receiving. It's to move from having an achieve mentality to a receive mentality. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. What did Jesus mean when he started telling this story about the wedding? Now, for a Jew, the wedding, a wedding banquet was the highlight. It was the best day of a person's life. Their life. Just stuck that in all y'all's heads. You're going to be doing that for an hour now, aren't you? It was the best day of their life. It was the, it was the high point. And now I know for, for a lot of us, like, it was one of the greatest days of my life. A lot of us have good, good weddings. But for a Jew in Jesus' day, this literally was the climactic point of joy in a person's life. And so Jesus takes this opportunity when he's asked, what does it mean to follow you? What's this whole thing about following you? What should I expect? And he uses a wedding banquet to paint a picture of what it looks like to be his follower. Now, at a wedding, the, 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 the general idea was it was a time of joy. It was a time of food. It was a time of wine, of fun, of family, of love, of romance, of intimacy, of laughter. It was a time of pleasure. And Jesus used this analogy to paint a picture for us because he says, he's basically saying this, think about following me differently. Religion and the people who are following the Pharisees are fasting. But when you follow me, don't think fasting, think feasting. That following me is more like a feast. It's more like being invited to a table where you are going to be served, not just that which you need, but things that bring you great joy. That following me is actually to be seated at a table and to be served the stuff that brings life and pleasure and intimacy, the stuff that brings joy and peace and abundance. Following me is more about being seated at a banquet table and receiving what I have to give you than setting out and trying to achieve something that you do not already have. That, you, that following me is fundamentally from a position of have, not, not have not. From a position where you have, not a position where you have not. This is what fasting was for the Jews. Now, we fast. I know some of you are getting confused already. Well, I thought we fast. We do, but we do it from a different place. The Jews fasted as part of their law. And part of their law, what their law was, was a system of compliance and moral rules and, and regulations so that they could obtain or achieve the presence and life of God. But the, the invitation of Jesus is this, 
that you actually aren't supposed to achieve anything. He's saying that following me is not about obtaining something. It's not about trying to get something. It's about realizing what you've already been given and receiving it. That's what following me. He's like, following me will be like being seated at a wedding banquet. He's saying, you know, this is not religion. This is not religion. It's not a means to life. He's saying this is a relationship. It's more think marriage. When you follow Jesus, think relationship, not religion. He's saying life is not lived for me in the sense of you're trying to get me. Life is lived from me that you already have me. Life is not found through effort. It's not found through striving. It's found through my presence and receiving who I am. Think about that picture at the wedding for a second. Is anybody worrying about anything at that moment of joy? No, they're, they're just there in the moment, in the presence of the groom. They're there enjoying the life of the party because he is the life of the party. That's what Jesus is saying. Essentially, this whole life is about being seated with him. It's about being seated with him. Now, why is this important and why is it important for us to talk about this? Because I know there's some of you like, you think, I've heard that before and I don't really know that how important that is. I know it's about relationship, not religion. It is so easy to get it twisted and religion is such a subtle liar. And he loves to sneak in and start to make you strive for things that Jesus has already bought and paid for you. I've seen it my whole life. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in something called the holiness movement. And the holiness movement, out of good intentions, I'm sure, but it's this idea that if I hold these ideals and I, and I dress a certain way and I don't do certain things, then, then I'm going to be more holy. But that's actually to have it inverted. Like I go to a camp every summer and on the, on the, on the doorpost, on the gatepost of the camp, it says, dedicated to the pursuit of holiness. That's religion. To pursue an ideal is religion. To pursue an individual, Jesus, that's relationship. And when you pursue Jesus, when you make his presence, knowing him, your pursuit, holiness becomes the byproduct. Listen, I, I, have, I, have, I have fallen off that bandwagon so many times. I do it on a daily basis, just about. And I'll find myself getting up from my seat at the table that Jesus bought me with his blood. That's what the cross is. That's why Jesus, like Psalm 23, it's about Jesus. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. It's a picture of the joy of wine. That's why I said, I'm the bread of life. My body's been broken for you. I've, I've prepared a table for you. But I'll tell you what, I don't know if you've ever felt this. So often I find myself getting up from the table and going out and saying, okay, I better pay for this. Anybody? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you're going to follow me, you, you, you stay seated at the banquet. This whole thing is funded by and fueled by my grace, period. It's, it, is, it is really all about Jesus. Like this whole life, I cannot stress this enough. I'm just going to preach it, and I know there needs to be a revelation. This whole thing, it is not about you. And I don't mean that by terms of value. I mean it's not about what you've done or are doing or will do. It's not about how good you've been or bad you've been. It's not about how holy you've been or how holy you haven't been. It's really all about Jesus. And the ones that learn how to stay seated in the presence of Jesus and grow in intimacy with the groom, those are the ones that start to see the life of the kingdom flow into them. Amen. It is so easy to be deceived. It's like, it's like in uh, Galatians. I wish I had time. There's so much. This is going to be a series. But in Galatians, Paul rips on the Galatian church. Why? Because the Galatians had regressed back to legalism and religion. 
They started going back to the old law. And he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? They actually stopped eating with Gentiles, and now they were eating with only Jews again, that, which is going back to the old system. He says, I, he says, he, he rebukes them. And what did he say? He says, I do not set aside the grace of Jesus. I mean, what's, what's he saying? I stay seated at the table. I stay there the whole time. And as I stay there, the life comes. I just keep getting served. My cup overflows. You know what that picture means? I know you have it on, like a, on a coffee mug, Psalm 23, the picture of my cup overflows. In Jewish tradition, when they stop serving you the wine, that means you needed to leave. We need that, we need that trick. Like, it's like a nice tell, because you don't have to be that awkward person, like, hey, the kids are in bed. <laughs> right? The person who's not taking a hint. In Jewish culture, if you brought the wine and when you stopped, the person took the hint and said, okay, it's time for me to leave the table. What David is saying when he says, my cup overflows, is that that grace, that life, that joy just keeps coming and God is never removing you from it. Like you never have to get up. So your job is to remain seated. Grace is not something you achieve. Jesus achieved it for you. Grace is something you receive. And we do that by faith. You remain seated. Your job, like in the trial, is to remain seated and trust him. Your job with your failure, hey, maybe last night, you're here and you're trying to like, you're, you're here. I, we've all done this. You've come to church because you know you did bad this week and so I need to do good, something good to offset it. That's religion. I'm gonna see probably 600 people Easter weekend that have a religious mentality, they're gonna come and say, it's been a rough year, but at least I'm gonna go to church and get God on my side, right? Or get God off my back. That's religion, that's religion. That's this idea that I'm trying to balance the score. Your job is not to work or strive or achieve, your job is to sit and receive the grace that Jesus has given you. That's why it's really good news, because you're sitting there you're saying, well, that's not fair, it's really not. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You receive it and you let it rest in you. You stay seated in the failure. When condemnation comes, you stay seated. When your fear and temptation and trial comes, I stay seated. I don't move. I'm in Christ. The Bible says you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Jesus, look what Jesus says. John 15, man, I got so much. I don't have time. Where, where's my time going? John 15, look what Jesus says to the disciples. This is to us. This is what it means to follow him. Look, John 15, Remain in me as I also, say it, remain. And you, every time you see remain, say it with me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain. in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain. in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain. in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's religion. You disconnect the vine and you're going out to try to do the stuff and hope that you're bearing fruit. Doesn't work. The fruit comes just through knowing Jesus. Verse six, this is fun. If you do not in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you, ah, you're getting a, little, getting a little slow here at the valley. I don't know if other, if you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you remain in him, you will bear much fruit. And God is staking the glory and renown of his name on that. That's a fact. He says you're, it'll be evidenced 
you'll see the fruit. You'll look like my disciple. So you have to remain. You need to make this, tr- this shift. And some of you, if you're like me, I live here. God, yeah, I'm going to make you happy with me. I'm going to prove that I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do great things. And some of the, 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 the best lies of Satan are just a little bit off. Anything he can get me to get me from seating at the table and living my life from the grace of God. You receive the grace. That is the foundational, fundamental rule of following Jesus. Rule number two. Everyone say number two. All right. This is a crash course. I wish I had more time, but it's really a crash course. And I don't think I have enough room on my thing. Number two. Number two is this. It's about dress code. There is a dress code, but it's not what you think it is. Uh, we're gonna, we'll write this. Uh, let's dress up. There's another shift that you need to make in your mind, and Jesus is, is, is pressing it in his next little thing. Let's, let's go from here. You need to change how you see yourself from the old me to the new me. This is about identity. This is all about identification. Look what Jesus says. So he gives the marriage He gives the wedding banquet analogy. Now, here's the second one. Watch this. I love this. So he says, besides, so he just finishes the marriage one, who would patch old clothing with a new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away, and the old cloth would rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear. Now, Jesus switches up the analogy. So he's saying, okay, following me first and foremost is is about being, being with me. It's about my presence and receiving from me. Now watch this, though. He uses another picture, and he takes a picture of a garment, and the garment has a patch, a hole. And he says, he's using this analogy, and he says, you know what? You know enough to not take a new patch and put it on an old garment, because what happens when the new patch goes there, the new patch will shrink over time. Anybody know that to be true with your clothing? Yeah, like, like in fact, it's, it's crazy how much clothes shrink. He says it'll shrink, and what'll happen is it's gonna make a bigger tear than there was in the first place. And now Jesus is not advocating, watch this, he's not advocating that you get an old patch for an old garment. He's saying you marry Kondo, your closet. Yeah? And he's saying you get rid of your old clothes and you put on the new ones. He is warning you that if you try to integrate your old identity with your new identity, it will not work. They are incompatible. That if you try to see yourself as, well, that's the old me and this is the new we, me and we're working it out, he's saying it's going to tear everything up. He's saying you, you, you can't see yourself through the lens of who you used to be. That when you follow me, you take on a whole new identity. That you now have become something different altogether. You are putting on a whole new outfit. You you are inheriting or receiving a brand new wardrobe. And if you try to merge your old life with your new life, it's just not going to work. He He says, this is not about patchwork. It's not taking a little bit of this history and a little bit of this future and a little bit of this past and a little bit of this future and merging it all together and like, oh, bless the broken road that led me. No, it's like, No. You are a brand new creature. You're brand new. Like, I know, I know you don't feel like it, but you're brand new. You're different. You really are. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, we regard no one. We regard no one. Who is no one? Yeah. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. We, we do from a heavenly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore... 
If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You're brand new. So, so Jesus is saying this. He's saying, if you're following me, this is not about integrating or merging your old life. It's actually allowing the fact that you are a follower of Jesus to be the thing that identifies you. I think it's interesting. Like you look at other religions and like how a Muslim will say, I'm a Muslim and I'm also a dentist. But, but Christians often say, hi, I'm, I'm Brent, I'm a dentist. Oh, and I go to church. That's patchwork, y'all. You are a brand new creature. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. You are, you are a new creation, and you have to wear that. Jesus is saying you have to wear that. Why? Because how you dress really matters. It, it frames in your expectations. Does it not? Like how you... Like you I don't know who you work for, but there is a dress code and it is intentional because it's gravitational. How you think and how you think about yourself, it actually sets the trajectory for how you're going to behave. So Jesus is saying you got to think differently about yourself. Like, let me say it like this. The person who's going to get in a car accident is not the person who's not thinking about a car accident. It's the person who's driving saying, don't get in an accident, don't get in an accident, don't get in an accident. They're dangerous, correct? This is what Jesus is getting at. You have to change your focus. A lot of you live, a lot of you follow Jesus more focused on who you used to be than who he's made you. You're more focused on what he's bringing you out of than where he's bringing you to. You are patchworking your life. You are wearing old robes and old garments. You are not clothing yourself in what Jesus has purchased for you. Jesus has purchased for you a whole new wardrobe. And he said, no, you didn't, you didn't purchase it. And so a lot of you, you're back here. You're saying, well, I got to pay for this. No, you receive it and you put it on. Jesus says, hey, here's some righteousness. Put it on. It's mine, but I'm giving it to you. Here's some glory. Put it on. It's mine, but I'm giving it to you. Here's some joy. Put it on. Here's some hope. Put it on. Here's some perseverance. Put it on. Here's some power. Put it on. You're supposed to put that thing on and put off the old. You're supposed to actually let it die. Really, I was, I was half joking, but not joking. Like Mary Kondo, you know, she, Google her. She's this Japanese girl that's revolutionizing everybody's closet. Right? She's a little weird. She's like, thank your house. Don't thank your house. Please. But some of y'all need to go into the closet of your life and say, you know what? I, I am no longer. Okay, even if it was last night and it was like, Yep, still an alcoholic. I am not wearing that anymore. Like some, some of you, oh, it drives me crazy. Like some of you, you, you let that woundedness and weakness be the defining factor of who you are. There is someone greater and something greater defining you now. His name is Jesus. So you align yourself with that. Look what Paul says. Romans 13, he says, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness that put, and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. We're, we're the same. Not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery and dissension and jealousy. Now watch this. He's talking about externalities and doing, but watch. Here's the secret to victory. Instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a way to think about yourself. And as you think about yourself that way, you're going to start living that way. But as long as you're thinking about yourself in the old way, you're going to be drawn gravitationally to the old way. You've got to actually let that go and say, I am, 
I, I know the sentiment. Like you'll hear this in church a lot. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and there's truth to that. You are a sinner saved by grace. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that does not label me anymore. Like that died on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live through Jesus who died and gave himself up for me. I'm not a sinner. Do I struggle? Sure. Have I, do, have I arrived? No. But am I a sinner? No. I am, I, am, I am standing in the righteousness of God. I'm putting on the glory of Christ. That's what that means. You let that identify you. And some of you are still living in the past. You're, you're wearing clothes that don't fit you anymore. I have this battle with my son. He's eight. My, my oldest son, he's, he is a sweet boy. And, and like, he's very sensitive. He's got a huge heart. He cries super easy. I hope that never goes away. Kind of like his dad. Um, but he has a really hard time letting things go. And so almost two, maybe three times a week, he'll come downstairs to get ready for school, and I'll be, like, getting stuff ready and getting ready to get out the door, and he'll come down looking like he's got on capris and a tube top. <laughs> and I know the day we live in, and you all want to let your kid express himself how they want, not in my house. <laughs> that boy's wearing boy clothes. As long as I have a say in it, I'm going to get in trouble. So here we go. So... So he comes down, and I have this fight with him all the time. He doesn't want to let these things go. They're comfortable. I've been wearing this shirt since I was five, clearly. <laughs> he likes those clothes. They're, they're, he's used to those clothes. And I keep having to tell him, son, I know they feel good, and I know you still feel like you're five, but you're not. You're eight. So go upstairs, get your eight-year-old clothes on, put those in a pile by your door because they're going in the garbage. That's not who you are anymore. And some of you, you, that's you. You're coming down every morning, and you're putting on old clothes that don't fit you. That is not who you are. That is, you are, you are wearing, I know you still feel like the alcoholic, but you're, that's because you keep wearing those clothes. Take the clothes off. Renew your mind and allow the Lord to reshape you and redefine you. Get dressed. Dress up. Dress up. Hey? All right, all right. I don't, I don't have time. <laughs> really, though, you, you might still feel like the old you that is so huge. Someone needs to hear this. You might still feel like the old you. Jesus is inviting you to kind of come past how you feel and believe what he has said. He has said something greater than how you feel. The evidence and the, and the track record, you, the fruit of who you are might still be all over the place. And Jesus says, put on my righteousness. Put on mine. I've given you a name, a calling. This is who you are now. You are who I say you are. Get rid of the old clothes. All right, last thought, and we'll be done. I, this has to be a series. I got I got too much here. I'm like cutting so much right now. All right, I got five minutes and fifty seconds. I'm going to use them all. Mark two, <laughs> verse twenty-two. Third picture. All right, you ready? Third picture is this, and Jesus says. So he gives the picture of the of the of the feast. Think feasting, not fasting. This is hard to read now. I got should have used. I, they gave me two colors. Check this out. Hey. hey. All right. Think feasting, not fasting. Uh, think the new you. you. You're more aligned to the new you than you are to the old you. The old is gone. That's not who you are anymore. Let Jesus define you. Third thing. Let, let me read it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll write it down. Number, verse 22. It says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. So Jesus first deals with what empowers the Christian life. It's all about grace, the whole thing. It's about knowing him and receiving from him. And then he talks about how you need to think about yourself, like, like to be heavenly minded and to have, to have understanding about who he says you are. But now he rolls this out into how is this going to play itself out in your world and in your life. Rule number three is expect to stretch. Expect to stretch. And Jesus gives us this picture of wine and wineskin. Let me, let me write this word to uh, containers. He starts talking about what contains this new life as it's coming into your existence. Uh, maybe there's a shift. There's another shift that ne- needs to happen. And then I'll break it down. The shift is to go from, let me use this word, um, tenacious from, from being rigid and tenacious to being yielded. Uh-oh, I before E. To being yielded. That, that yieldedness is actually not just important, but is critical in your life as you follow Jesus. Now, this is where people start to get confused on this whole idea of yieldedness and being uh, able to stretch and change, they start to think this has something to do with this. It does not. This is a posture of your heart. This is works of your hands. And so Jesus uses this analogy. Let me break it down because I think I'm getting ahead of some of you. He compares following him to wine being placed in a container. In Jesus' day, wine was put in wine skins, an animal hide. And the same rules apply, the same science as today, that new wine has to go in a new container. Why? Because as wine ferments, it what? It expands. And as it expands, it puts pressure on the container. So in Jesus' day, if you put new wine in an old wineskin, it would expand, and at some point, the wine, the pressure of the wine would outgrow the container, and the container would start to break and crack until it split and then the container's broken and the wine leaks out. The same happens with bottles. You can go into a wine cellar and every so often there'll be a burst bottle. Why? Because the, the wine was too strong for the container. Jesus uses this analogy to show you how you're supposed to integrate your life as you follow him. That you have to have a level of yieldedness as you try to walk this out. That as the grace of God gets into you, there, expect pressure. Expect, expect this whole thing as it starts to expand. It's going to start to push in and push up against the things that used to contain your life nice and neatly. It's going to start to expose and put pressure on your relationships. Some of your relationships just aren't going to work as well anymore. You're going to start to find that it's actually at odds and it's pushing back against what Jesus is doing in your heart. This doesn't mean that you need to set, you know, not have unchristian friends. This does mean you have to guard their influence in you. This means you have to start thinking about who's speaking into me. 
This life that God is doing in you, it will, it will push up against your, your relationships. It'll push up against your perspective. I have never felt more tension and pressure than I have in this last couple years on the way the Bible tells me to see the world and the way the world tells me to see the world. You ever found that? It's called pressure. And so the key to growing in this life following Jesus is making a decision. Am I going to let what Jesus says is true be true in here, or am I going to try to place some of his truth over here in some of the world's perspective and try to make it all work? Jesus says, not gonna work. It's going to burst. It's going to break. So whether it's in, in your thinking, that's why the Bible says, uh, offer your body as living sacrifice. Uh, do, not be, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. It's malleability. Yieldedness, another word would be surrender. That when you start following Jesus, increasingly so, you're going to have to give him access to say, I want to, I want to push into that area now. You know that old habit you used to do? You know that thing you used to do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, want, I want that space. Oh, no, it's, it's okay for them, but for you, I want, I want to come here. And the Lord is going to start pushing himself as you follow him. Here's the thing. This kingdom life in you expands. And at some point, you are going to feel it press up against relationships that just can't contain what God's doing in you. Maybe, maybe it has to do with your time or your talent, how you steward your life. When, when the kingdom starts expanding, sometimes you're going to have to say, okay, you know what? I got to put God here now because this place I used to have him can't contain it anymore. I, I need more room. My, you understand what I'm saying? That the containers have to be able to continually hold. So that's what kingdom growth looks like. It's not about striving. It's about surrendering. And when you start to surrender to God and say, God, I'm going to give you that space and trust you with it, that's how the kingdom keeps growing. And here it is. And this, I've seen this. I've, I've been a pastor here for 13 years. I've been a senior pastor for seven years. I've seen it this year. People will come to church. And some of you are sitting here right now, and, and I, I pray that this doesn't happen, but I see it over and over again. You come, you have an experience. It's real. You experience the power of God. You hear truth and it rattles something inside of you. Something comes to life. You give your life to Jesus. I've baptized people and it was so real. And then what happens though is they start following and, and walking this thing out and they come to this place where they draw a line and they say, God, you can't go here though. I'm not gonna change that about you. I, I have one friend that I walked with for a few years and we got to a place and, and he knew and I knew God was circling that thing and that, that you came to an impasse where you're gonna either have to yield or, or hold your ground and be tenacious. And he chose to hold that thing back and that, then what happens? Listen, no one leaves this walk and leaves this faith because of some giant thing. Usually it's this gradual leak that happens because of a crack because you weren't yielding. As we follow Jesus, the container, your life is a container, and you have to put new wine in new wineskins. That means renewing your mind, renewing your habits, renewing the things that you value, renewing your strategies on how you live your life and what matters to you. That's what holiness is. It's to say, God, I surrender to you. Do, it, do in me what you want. If you, if you want it, you can have it. Jesus is saying this life 
cannot and will not fit in the old containers. People who follow Jesus successfully, you need to know this, because if you don't feel pressure right now, you will feel it at some point. People who follow Jesus successfully are people who, when they feel the pressure and the incongruence of the life they're currently living and the life of Jesus that is growing inside of them. People who succeed are the people who don't try to change the wine, they try to change the container. And we have got to learn, you have got to learn to do this. I'm helping somebody and there's somebody that you're in that right now and you're wondering, am I doing something wrong? Why does it feel like I have two worlds warring against each other? Welcome to following Jesus. And the key to victory is to let him have what he wants. And as you yield yourself, things keep growing. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet. Ben, you can come back. I went three minutes and 40 seconds over. I apologize. But I, want, I don't want you to miss it. Stand on your feet, all of our locations. I'm going to pray. We're going we're to receive communion. Now, if you are like me, I am high achiever. Any Enneagram people here? Nobody, okay, know your, know your audience, right? Okay, anyway, I'll leave that one behind. Um, when you see that, you'll immediately, I will immediately leave here and focus on what I gotta do. And oh man, it's gonna be, it's gonna be so hard, but I'm gonna remain seated and I'm gonna, I'm gonna dress up and I'm gonna just, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna find all those crusty old containers in my life and I'm throwing them out and I'm just, nah. Anybody like that? Like, some of you are like, no, you need to settle down. <laughs> but if you're not careful, what you'll hear in the analogies that Jesus just gave us, you'll hear the things he's inviting you to do and not the things he's inviting you to receive. And you'll actually hear the invitation without the reward. There is reward associated with following Jesus. And, and in all of these pictures, it's there. And it's funny, I, I almost missed it until about an hour before preaching right now. I almost missed it. I was just going to leave this hanging, but I felt like the Lord said, don't miss what I'm actually saying. Don't send your church out thinking more about what they have to invest than what they stand to receive. Yeah. Like there is more to gain than what you are, 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 are might have to lose. And in all of those pictures, it's there. If you remain seated and you fight the fight of faith to just stay seated. And some of you are in that season right now. I don't know if I can trust anymore. I don't know if he's going to bring me through it. Stay seated. If you fight the fight of faith, the promise is, he painted the picture of a wedding. Satisfaction, joy, peace, communion, community, life, liberty. That's the invitation. Some of you fighting that fight to try to like put off the old self, put off the, the, the things that used to label me and to put on the new self. Here's the invitation. It's not just that you have to marry condo your life. And that's, that's sometimes hard letting go of the old things. But the invitation is transformation. Jesus wants to recreate you, to make you brand new. The invitation is glory. Look, if you follow Jesus long enough, there is a version of you that right now, if you saw him or her, you would be tempted to worship. This is what the Bible means when you're going to be from glory to ever-increasing glory. When Jesus gets done with you, you won't even be recognizable. You will be so amazing. That's transformation. And there's an invitation right here. 
Expect to stretch, why? Because this kingdom never, ever stops increasing. Never stops increasing. More joy, more satisfaction, more self-control, more freedom, more wisdom, more truth. It never stops increasing. Do not miss the invitation Jesus calls us to receive. We're going to end today. Uh, as we think about this, we're going to end by receiving communion. And Jesus gave us this picture uh, the night he was betrayed because he knew that when we follow him, it's really easy to get up from the table and start achieving. It's really easy to get really crusty and tenacious and hold our ground when he's saying, no, I just want, you need to yield. It's really easy to let things define you that don't need to define you anymore. And so he gave us communion to give us a reminder. It's an invitation back to the table. It's an invitation to receive the grace that you did not pay for. It's an invitation to let the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, the blood of his glory, the blood of who he is, to be your new identity, to put it on again. And it's an invitation to trust him, to say, God, I come here empty-handed, whatever you want, however you want me, receive me right now. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to invite you at all of our locations to come. Uh, there are tables at the front, uh, at the valley. I think there are tables in the corners, perhaps, as well. Um, and you can come and receive. Take the bread. It's a picture of Jesus' body broken for you. Take the cup. It's a picture of the blood of the new covenant. It's, it's, it covers all of your sin and receive freely the life that he wants to give you. If you're not a believer, do not take this. If you want to be a believer right now, come on up. The requirement is your faith. So let's pray and let's be thankful today. Jesus said, take this and be thankful. Paul said, every time you take this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's important. So let's receive with great gratitude and joy. And we're going to worship and we're going to celebrate. And you can take the elements as you feel led. So let's pray. Father, thank you today for grace. Thank you that it is by grace we have been saved. It is by grace we are being changed. It is by grace that you are sustaining us, God. And so, Lord, as we come to the table today, God, thank you that you keep inviting us back for the times we stand up and wander off. Lord, thank you that you invite us to come back and have a seat and remain seated. And so, Lord, we receive the grace today, the grace of your body, the grace of your blood. We ingest it. And, Lord, we pray that as we ingest it, it goes deeper than before and it would find new space, Lord, and we would receive it with surrenderness and yieldedness, Lord, and that you would be able to expand in us, bearing much fruit. So, Father, we receive this great gift of your Son. We receive this grace, Lord, for the one who feels labeled by mistakes in their past. God, we just, we receive a brand new start today. Lord, we receive a new garment. God, for the one who feels like they don't have power, we receive power in Jesus' name today. Lord, for the one who feels like they can't let that thing go, Lord, we receive the revelation that, that you can be trusted and that you only have good things as we follow you. And so, Lord, we receive today with gratitude and thanksgiving, believing we are who you say we are in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen.